dog there. We're going to get back to that, believe it or not. But a couple of announcements before we dig in this morning. Next Saturday, we're going to try something a little bit different. We've never done this before. We're going to have our first annual back-to-school swap and share. If it doesn't work, it'll be our last annual (laughs) back-to-school swap and share. But basically, it's family taking care of family. We have to focus on our kids. Our kids are going to be starting school again. And our kids have this terribly annoying habit of outgrowing perfectly good stuff, right? Some of our families will just pass the clothes down or pass them around. They'll save themselves a few bucks. So we're going to try something a little different here as a church family. We're going to encourage you to bring in stuff for your kids that doesn't fit, that is still in good shape. And you're going to take stuff that does fit, that's still in good shape. No dollars exchanged. So instead of stuffing those clothes into totes, putting them in a closet, or giving them to goodwill, let's have family take care of family. That's the idea. And school supplies as well. I mean, those of you who don't have kids that may want to participate in this, if you've got backpacks, lunch boxes, water bottles, binders, compositions, spiral notebooks, pens, pencils, crayons, bring them in, and let's just supply our families. Let's just take care of each other. By Friday, if possible, we've got a small team that's going to lay this stuff out in the gym, and from about 12 till 3 on Saturday, come and just take what fits for your family. And then the next day, July 25, next Sunday, we're going to have Campfire Sunday. It's going to be kind of a special day. We're going to hold it out at the pavilion. It's going to be kind of a dedication of that pavilion. It's going to be the first really official use of that for the church family. It's going to be around a campfire. It's going to be a family service. We want the whole family to gather. Together, in fact, it's just one service, 10 o'clock. Both of our worship services will be there. Long-range forecast seems to look pretty promising. It is going to be a family service. There will be preschool available in the pavilion if it is needed. We're going to be able to put two or 300 seats in the pavilion itself for seniors, guests, families with kids. But we're going to encourage you, if you're a family and want to bring a little pop-up canopy or some lawn chairs, you can kind of scatter around on the, on the area out there in the grass. And we're going to have a family worship event. And hopefully, God will use it powerfully. Today is our Christmas in July. How cool is that? It's our opportunity to give back to our community. We like to jump on those opportunities. Bringing in schools for kids, I mean, um, shoes for kids in our schools. Our goal is 500 sets of shoes. I, I hope we reach that. We don't know yet. We'll find out. We're grateful to God for the opportunity to serve, for stirring generosity in us. You know, generosity feels good. You know that, don't you? And the Bible says it's better to give than to receive. Did you know that when you're generous, it spurs the release of certain chemicals in your, in your body? It's, it stirs the release of dopamine, which gives you this sense of euphoria, excitement, and happiness. Giving generates happiness. It spurs the release of uh, oxytocin, which gives you a sense of tranquility and peace. But it doesn't just feel good. To tell you the truth, when they study generosity, they'll tell you it reduces stress, depression, it lowers blood pressure, it reduces the risk of cardiovascular disease, it actually lowers the risk of dementia. If it's not trivial, if it's from the heart, it's called a magic pill for happiness and longevity, but it's got to be from the heart because if it's grudging, the benefits actually disappear. 
And so we kind of figured that our Christmas in July is kind of the perfect time to talk about Jesus followers and generosity. Jesus followers and money. We don't talk about money a lot here at Capital City, only about once a year. But we've been studying the basics of discipleship. What does it mean to be a Jesus follower, Jesus way? And how we view our money and how we manage our money matters a lot to Jesus followers. I'm going to tell you guys what I'm going to talk about this morning, I hope, is going to be pretty basic. If you've been around Capital City for a while, it is not going to sound new, I hope. If you haven't been around Cap City for a while, I hope that you lean in because this is stuff you need to know. This is basic to Jesus following. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to close up with a double dog dare. By the way, a double dog dare from God is even more compelling than a triple dog dare from some ornery kid, right? And I'm pretty sure this is God's double dog dare. If it were ours, you should blow it off. If it's his, you need to lean in. Now, one more thing preliminarily. If you are not a Jesus follower yet, well, maybe you're looking for a reason to push God away. I'll give you a good one this morning. Because I'm going to tell you that the stuff I'm going to talk about is going to sound weird. It's going to sound weird to you because bottom line, we Jesus followers are called to live weird, aren't we? That's what doing life with God, for God, God's way looks like to those who don't. But it's not just about being different. It's not about being weird. We actually think it's a better way to live. Jesus said that I have come that you might have life, real life, life to the fullest. And we think this is part of it. Normal, the way normal goes, doesn't work. God's weird does work. So here it is. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of opens up with this. He says, unless your righteousness, unless the way you live, unless who you are, is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says. And you see, back then, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees were kind of the elite, the spiritual elite. They were the best of the best. They were fastidious about keeping God's laws. Jesus said, you guys do better. Because they focused on behavior. They focused on the outside. Jesus focused, tells us to focus on the heart. See, the Old Testament law, the rules said don't murder physically. It was about behavior, so they didn't murder people physically. Jesus said, let's take it deeper. Let's go down to the heart. I want you to deal with your anger. Let's fix your heart. Old Testament law said don't commit adultery physically. It was about behavior. And so they didn't commit adultery physically. Jesus said, let's go further. Let's look at your heart. Let's deal with your lust. Old Testament law said, if you make a vow to God, if you make a vow to God, keep it. Jesus said, it's not just about the vows you make to God. How about just being people of integrity, people of your word? Now, we dealt with that stuff the last three weeks. If you need to catch up, you can go online and you can either listen to it or read that stuff. And that was about Christian morality, about Christ, Christian virtues. Where Jesus goes next is about Christian habits, Christian behaviors. There are things we do, there are things we cultivate because we are Jesus followers. And two of those are these. We give generously and we pray regularly. We give and we pray, we give and we pray. We're going to talk about giving today. We're going to talk about praying 
next week. So here's what Jesus says. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly so you can be admired by others because then you're going to lose your reward from the Father in heaven. When you give, when you give, when you give to someone in need, don't do like the hypocrites who blow their trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to themselves. I tell you the truth, they've already received all the reward they're going to get. But when you give, when you give, when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Give your gifts in private, and God, who sees everything, will reward you, and his reward is infinitely better, right? Now, I know that the kind of giving that Jesus is talking about sounds like charitable giving, and the kind of giving that I'm going to talk about this morning goes well beyond that. But back then, charitable giving wasn't optional like it is now. It was required by their religious law, by the old covenant. That's how they did life with God. If you were a God follower, you were a giver. Still that way under the new covenant. If you're going to be a Jesus follower, you're going to be a giver. I'm going to talk about that this morning. And there is one word that Jesus uses that makes that crystal clear. Back in verse 2, Jesus says, when, when you give, not if, because we Jesus followers give. It's who we are and what we do, because it's who he is and what he does, and we are Jesus followers, right? Now, here's the deal. When you see this word when occasionally in the New Testament, it's huge. It's important. You see, if Jesus had said, if, if you choose to give, It'd be our call. It'd be optional. But he says, when? Because it is who we are and what we do. Kind of like baptism. It doesn't say, if you get baptized. It says, when you were baptized. Because if you're a Jesus follower back in the time of the New Testament, it's just who you were and what you did. They didn't have to go around trying to convince people to be baptized. It's who we are. Same with giving. It's who we are and what we do. And there's a good reason for that. It's not about the money. It is not about the money. It's about the heart. The reason is that money is one of the most powerful idols in this world that draws myriads of people away from God. It becomes their God. So unless your righteousness, who you are and how you live, exceeds the righteousness of those who are meticulous about their giving, you're not going to get it, Jesus says. Because for them, it's about the rules. It's about behavior. For us, it's about the heart. Now, a whole lot of people are generous, which is cool. A whole lot of people are givers. In fact, we Americans are always called the most generous people on earth, and that's cool. That's good. We are passionate about some cause, and we give. That's cool. We give to schools because we care about our kids. That's what we're doing this morning. We give to medical research because we hate what disease does to people. We give to social causes like clean water because we want to help people. We give to the arts. We give to environmental causes. We give to animal rights because we care about that stuff. We give to political parties because we're passionate about their causes. That's good, isn't it? 
So many of us give. We give to things that we care about. Now, not all causes are noble, but many of them are. And to people like that who are generous, Jesus says, I want you to do better. I think he means, I I want you to do better in choosing your cause. I want you to do better in why you give. And I want you to do better in how you give. Listen, guys, this is a little bit weird. You might not have thought about it this way, but giving is not all equal. All giving is not equal because not all causes are equal. And I know people are going to push back and they're going to say, what makes your cause any better than mine? And if there is no God, they are right. Now listen, I don't care if you give to lesser causes. I think God is good with that. I think he adores that. Unless your giving to a lesser cause keeps you from giving to a greater cause. Unless your giving to a lesser cause keeps you <clears throat> from giving your first part back to God. Listen, guys, we get hung up on little things and we miss the big ones. There are Jesus followers who are more generous to their political party than they are to the church or to the mission of the church. That's wrong. Jesus followers who are more generous to the United Way or to the SPCA than they are to the church or to the mission of their church. Not against being generous with good causes. As long as our preoccupation with littler things doesn't prevent us from supporting the most important things. Then there's the why. Why do you give? Some people want to be seen as givers. Okay. Some people, it makes them feel good. It's cool. For who we are, it's about who we are and who we serve. To unpack that, I'm going to go back to the last book of the Old Testament. I'm going to take you to the words of a prophet named Malachi because I think we need to listen again to what he says. Here's what was happening back then. The leaders of Israel, the people of Israel were kind of giving their leftovers to God like a lot of people do today. See, back then they'd offer these sacrifices in the temple and they were supposed to bring the very best of their sheep or the very first fruit of their harvest and they're supposed to give that to God. That's God's rules. Instead, they were bringing God leftovers, the scrawniest, lamest, least profitable critters they had and giving those to God. Malachi said, that doesn't honor God. He's not going to respond to that. Here it is. God says, return to me, and I'll return to you. And they're thinking, what do you mean, return to you? We never went away, right? How can we return when we never left? I mean, we're here, right? We're here with our sacrifices in the temple. You see, they were normal, like most normal people. Normal is clueless. Normal don't even know they're screwing up. We're here, we're singing the songs, enduring the sermons. We're here, God. God says, listen, return to me, and I'll return to you. What do you mean, God? What do you want us to do? And Malachi gets really hard, God says. You think you should cheat God? I think you should cheat God, but you have. And it blew their minds. They said, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you, God? How? 
have we cheated you, God? I mean, we're here. We're coming to worship, singing the songs, listening to the sermons, dropping money in the offering bucket, even a few dollars in the generous bucket. How are we ever cheating you, God? Because they're normal. And normal is clueless. And God says, this is hard. He says, you've cheated me of the tithes and the offerings that are due to me. Now, before I go any further, I want to just kind of take a little side path and explain what the tithe meant to them, and then I'm going to jump back in at verse 10. The word tithe literally means one-tenth. That's all it means, just a tenth. And back in the Old Testament time, the people of God were supposed to pay several tithes. The first tithe, the first 10%, went to the temple for the priests and all the activities of the temple. The second tithe, believe it or not, is that they would give it for this massive party, this huge party that celebrated God. Sounds cool, doesn't it? And then they collected a third tithe every third year. Every third year, they'd contribute an additional 10% to take care of the poor. Back then, that was their social safety net. 10% 10% for the temple and the priest, 10% for this national feast to celebrate God, 10% to take care of the poor every third year. Which means back in the Old Testament times, if you paid your tithe, which did more than what our tithes do here because it was the social safety net, it amounted to about 23% of their income. That was the law under the Old Covenant. So Malachi looks at these people and he says, you're robbing God of his tithes. Priorities are out of whack. He's no longer first to you. So verse 10, God says, bring all the tithes, specifically the first 10%. Bring the tithes into the storehouse so there's going to be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says God, I'll open the windows of heaven for you and I'm going to pour out a blessing so great you're not going to have room to take it in. Quit skimping, God says. Quit spending it all. Quit hoarding it all. Quit using it all for yourselves. And then there'll be food in my house. He's talking about the temple and all that went on there, and more than that. It wasn't about the money, guys. With God, it's never about the money. It's about the heart. Follow the money because it's a picture window into your heart. And here's where it gets tricky. Here's the part that we misunderstand. God says the reason that you are struggling financially is that you're dishonoring me financially. Huh? Get it right, God says, and see what happens. And then he says this, which is really, really weird in the Bible. God says, try it. Put me to the test. Test me. I dare you. Double dog dare you. Right? Which is weird because in the Bible, we're not supposed to test God. When we try to test God, it's not God-honoring. I mean, we lay down a fleece and we say, God, answer me on my terms. That's testing God. We challenge God to prove himself to us. That's testing God. We try to get God to do things our way. That's testing God. That's arrogance. Servants trying to bend the master to their will. But this is not our setting up a test for God. This is God challenging us to try life his way. Test me, says God. Try it my way. 
See if it doesn't make your life better. Try doing life weird, God's weird, and seeing if God's weird is not a whole lot better than your normal. Guys, this big idea isn't just in the Old Covenant. This is not just Old Testament stuff. There's a principle of all time that lays underneath this promise in Malachi. Jesus puts it like this. This is Jesus. He says, give and you'll receive. In fact, your gift will return to you in full. In fact, it'll be more than full. It'll be pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. He says, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. That's Jesus speaking. That's God in the flesh speaking directly to us. Do you believe him? Now, this is not some quid pro quo where you scratch God's back and he'll scratch yours. This is God saying, trust me. I dare you. Trust me. Now, a whole lot of people make two mistakes when they hear this. Here's the first big mistake. A whole lot of people think that the more money you give to God, the more money God will give you back, right? Great investment. Plant your seed of faith and watch God give you bucket loads of money back. Poppycock. Guys, that attitude isn't about generosity, it's about greed. And that's sin. I'll invest in God so he can make me rich, we think. Listen, guys, most of God's blessings are not financial. Most of God's coolest blessings are not financial. You get God-honoring word with your money, and God is going to bless you. That's your promise. The blessing may not be financial. And here's the other mistake that we make. We hear these words, and we think that God is after our money, <laughs> which is stupid. First of all, it's really not our money. And secondly, God doesn't need our money. He just wants your heart. Jesus said where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. If you want to find a man's heart, follow his money. If I want to find out where your heart is, follow your money. This is about God wanting first place. This is about God wanting our devotion it's about our priorities. Because there's some things we need to know, some things we need to understand. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, this is going to apply to you too. Two huge things. Thing number one, God owns it all. Do you believe that? God owns it all. We think it's ours. So we think we can do what we want with our stuff. We treat it like it's ours. But if it's his, then we're obligated to use it, all of it, in a way that respects him. And that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Do you believe that? Everything, I think, includes everything you own, everything I own. God says every animal on the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Do you believe that? So it's kind of like God is saying every single steak in your freezer belongs to me. I think God would say to me, your little farm, your little herd, your dogs, your cats, your car, your truck, whatever, they're really mine. Remember? God says the silver and the gold are mine. You believe that? 
I think in our terms, you'd say every credit card in your wallet, every debit card, all your equity, all your savings, your checking account, all your stash, it's really mine. Do you believe that? Most of us don't. We think it's ours. God thinks it's his. One of us is wrong. Some of you guys are going to push back. You're going to think, but I worked hard for what I've got, right? I worked for this. I saved this. Bible answers, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength and my hands have produced this wealth for me, but God is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Oh, yeah. I mean, I studied in school, worked hard on the job, put in long hours, scraped and saved, made smart investments. I did it the old-fashioned way. I earned it. And God answers, well, I made the earth, and I made you, and I made the brain that's in your head, There's nothing you have, and there's nothing that you can do that is not my gift. So how about a little humility and gratitude? See, God never transfers title. He never relinquishes his ownership of anything to you or me. He lets us use his stuff. still his. So when it comes to our money as Jesus followers, the question is not, How much of my stuff do I give to God? The question really is, how much of God's stuff do I keep for myself? It's about ownership. God owns, we manage. God owns, we use. Do you buy that? Seriously enough that you actually live that way. And here's huge thing number two. This is big, guys. God gets the first part back. He gets the first part back. That's how we acknowledge that we know it's all his. That reminds us that it was never ours to begin with. That's how we tell him how grateful we are. That's how we tell him that he's first in everything. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, they were like bring the choice first produce of the year, the first fruits to the house of your God. God gets the first part back because it reminds us where it came from and And it's how God meant for his work to get done. And here's my favorite. It says, honor God with everything. Everything you own, give him the first and the best. The first and the best. Now with those ideas laying behind it, let's go back and look at those words of Malachi again. Listen to what he says. Do honest people like us rob God? And we're thinking, no, I'd never rob God. I wouldn't even know how. And God says, but you do. And we say, how? And he says, with the tithe and the offering, that's how. And now you're under a curse, the whole lot of you, because you're robbing me. He says, bring the full tithe into the temple treasury so there'll be ample provisions in my temple. Test me in this. He says, test me. I dare you. I double dog dare you. See if I don't open heaven itself to you and pour out blessings beyond your wildest dreams. It's about ownership, guys. We think we can do what we want because it's ours. God says no. It's mine. And the first part comes back to me. And guys, I believe that if we actually bought this and lived this out, it would revolutionize our lives our families, church, our community. This stuff is huge, and it is one of the basics of following Jesus.
Now, in the Old Testament time, the Old Covenant was the tithe, 10%. We're not under the Old Covenant. We are not under the Old Testament law. As Jesus followers, we are under a new covenant. Giving is part of it, but not necessarily the tithe. Here at Capital City, we talk about progressive percentage priority giving. In other words, those who have less are still God-honoring when they give less. Those who have more are even more responsible before God to give more. And that's progressive. And we think you ought to pick a percentage, not a number, a percentage. The Old Testament, it was 10%. Maybe that's a good starting point. I don't know. We think you ought to pick a good God-honoring percentage, and as God blesses you more, increase the percentage, not the number. Progressive percentage, priority giving, which means God gets the first part back. He doesn't get seconds. He doesn't get leftovers. He gets the first part. Bottom line, you need to make a call. This is between you and God. Apostle Paul put it like this. He says, you must each make up your own mind as to how much you give. You choose. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give in response to pressure because God loves the one who gives cheerfully. You work it out with God how much you should give and God will generously provide all you need and you'll have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's the promise. Our God is generous with us so we can be generous with others. How cool is that? So I can't tell you how much you're supposed to give. I can't give you a specific percentage. I can tell you this. If you have the right heart, you're going to do fine with God. You work it out with Him. If your heart is loving, willing, cheerful, generous, you're going to do great. For some of you guys, 10% might be too much right now. For some of you guys, 10% might be too little right now. Maybe it's useful as a benchmark and then adjust up or down based on how God has blessed you financially. Now, I know that for some of you guys, what I've said this morning may sound self-serving, like I'm trying to get you to give more money to the church. And a lot of us do need to be more faithful in our giving to the church. But it's not the reason I'm preaching this stuff. This is what the Bible teaches, guys. This is how God wants us to live. And to the degree that we disobey God, it puts a wedge between us and God, between us and the people of God. Way too many Christians live like the herd when it comes to our money. And normal is broken. The only way to enjoy the blessings God promises is to live the life that God commands. So bottom line, what's next? Where does the rubber hit the road for you? Well, if you're a Jesus follower and you're giving nothing to the church or to the missions, start giving something. Start now. Don't be thinking to yourself, I'll give later when I get some bills paid and I get some margin. Start now. Even if it's only a dollar or two, even if it's only a five or a ten, start now. If you're a Jesus follower and you're just giving a token, Start giving enough that it means something to you and to him.
Give him your first and your best. If you're already a regular giver, a comfortable regular giver, maybe you need to try giving sacrificially. Start investing in something that actually matters forever. Start building something that actually matters forever. And here's the deal. Here's the double dog dare. God says, test me. He actually does. So try it. Try it. And here's what we'll do. We've done this before. We're going to do it again. If you give in a way that we can track what you give for the next three months, whether checks online or however, just so we can track it, if after three months you think it was a mistake, if after three months you believe that God has not blessed you, we will give your money back. We really will. We believe you'll be blessed. Maybe financially, maybe not. Maybe spiritually, maybe relationally, maybe emotionally. We believe that when you do life with God, for God, God's way, he blesses you for now and for forever. So this is not a gimmick. It's a safety net because we know that what we're challenging here will be scary for some of you. We're going to ask you to leave your comfort zone, to stretch your faith, and to trust God. And that's scary. So we're going to provide a safety net, kind of like a set of training wheels, as we ask you to step out on faith. Because, guys, growing you into Christ-driven 24-7 Jesus followers is our mission from God. So we're going to encourage you to take a step of faith. It's about the heart, guys. It's about the heart. Jesus says, follow the money. Where a man's heart is, that's where his treasure is going to be. Or where his treasure is, that's where his heart is going to be. Is your heart set first on God? Let's pray together. Father, we want to be God-honoring Jesus followers. We want to do life your way because we do believe it's the best way. We want to trust you. Give us the wisdom, the courage to be people of God so we can experience the kind of life that you want us to live. We love you dearly. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.